Hey everyone, my name's Eric and I'm the lead pastor here at Freedom and I want to welcome you to our services today. Thank you so much for being here this weekend. If you're new with us, we want you to feel at home. And we are so glad that you've chosen to spend your Sunday with us. You see, for Freedom, church is so much more than just a Sunday service. And we want you to know that the best way to get connected with us is to simply text GUEST to 706-651-8373. I just got a couple of quick things to help you stay in the loop this morning. The best way to get connected and start meeting others is through groups. Small groups are where you can develop real and lasting friendships that go beyond Sunday morning. To find the group perfect for you, simply head over to our website at www.freedombiblechurch.net slash adultgroups to find a place to connect that fits your schedule. Hey parents, we want to let you know that we still have winter retreat signups from January 15th through the 17th, but you got to make sure that you register by December 1st or else the price will go up. Go to freedombiblechurch.net slash students to find out more information and to register. Operation Christmas Child is a great opportunity to share the love of Jesus with children all over the world. We will be collecting shoeboxes on November 15th and November 22nd. Be sure to grab a pre-printed shoebox with instructions on how to pack it in our lobby today on your way out. If you've been visiting Freedom and want to learn more about becoming a partner of our church, I want to invite you to Discover Freedom on Sunday, December 6th at 9 a.m. This is a great way to discover next steps on getting plugged into our church. In just a moment, we're going to continue our series on the book of Habakkuk. Prepare your hearts and your minds for learning from God's Word. And again, thanks so much for being with us today. Now, our choices matter. Our lives are shaped by the choices that we make. See, what happens is we begin to make choices, and then those choices turn around and start making us. They shape us and make us into who we are. Every single choice that you and I make has consequences, good or bad. The fact is, you and I can choose to walk in sin. We can choose to disobey God. We can choose to rebel against God. Or we can choose to walk in grace. We can choose to walk in repentance. We can choose to walk in obedience to God. And depending on the choices that we make, that will determine the consequences that we experience. See, our lives are really nothing more than the sum total of the choices that you and I make. Who I am, where I am, what I'm doing is really the result of thousands of choices that I've made over my lifetime. And the same is true of you. Your life is really the sum total of the choices that you have made. And the Bible often speaks of the choices we make. Because see, choices 
What we choose is so critical and so important and so crucial to our relationship with God. In fact, Moses, at the end of his life, gathered the people of Israel, and he said to them, listen, you have a choice to make. You can choose to follow this covenant that God has made with us. You can choose life or you can choose death. You can choose blessing or you can choose cursing. He says, I want you to choose life. Choose blessing. Choose to obey God. Choose to cling to Him. Joshua also, at the end of his life, he too gathered the people of Israel. And he renewed the covenant that God had made with them. And he said to them, listen, you have a choice to make. You can choose and worship all the gods of the surrounding nations, or you can choose to worship the one true God. And Joshua said, as for me and my house, I will choose the Lord. I will worship the Lord. Elijah, if you remember the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel, he stood there and he had just defeated and wiped out all the prophets of Baal. And he, and he says to the people, he says, listen, you have a choice to make. You can choose to worship Baal if he is God. Or you can choose, choose to worship the Lord as God. He says, that's your choice. Jesus also told his disciples, he said, you have a choice. There's going to be two gates. One gate's going to be wide and it's going to be easy. The other gate's going to be narrow and it's going to be hard. The wide gate will lead to destruction, but the narrow gate will lead to life. And Jesus said, you have to choose. Which path, which choice are you going to make? So as we continue our series on the book of Habakkuk, we're going to be in Habakkuk chapter 2. And in, in this story of Habakkuk, it's really his journal with God. See, the prophet starts out incredibly frustrated. He looks around the world and he sees God's people and he says, I don't understand why God's people are doing the things they shouldn't be doing and not doing the things they should be doing. They're completely disregarding God. They're completely walking away from God. And Habakkuk looks at that and he's frustrated. And so he prays to God and he writes out his prayer in this journal that we call the book of Habakkuk. And he says, God, how long are you going to let this continue? Why are your people continuing to rebel against you? When are you going to step in and do something, God? So God responds. God tells Habakkuk, listen, I've got a plan. You're not going to like it, but this is my plan. I am going to send the Babylonians. Those nasty, ruthless Babylonians, and they are going to invade Judah, and they're going to conquer Judah, and they're going to capture my people, and they're going to take them in captivity because of their sin. And Habakkuk responds and questions God even more. He goes, listen, God, I, I, you're right. Don't like that plan. Not a good idea. I think you should come up with a better plan. And uh, he basically asks God, are you sure that's what you want to do? And today, what we're going to see as we, as we continue this, this series on the book of Habakkuk is that our choices really do matter. And it is never more evident that our choices matter than when you and I face hardship. You see, when we face troubles, when we face challenges, when life throws everything it's got at us, it is never more evident that our choices matter than in those moments. And what we're going to see is we're going to see the prophet Habakkuk 
in chapter 2 facing some of the most difficult choices that he has to make. And God's going to reveal some principles that I believe are incredibly relevant in our lives today. You see, the prophet is, is really determining in this moment, this, this chapter begins to shift to chapter 3, which is the conclusion of this, of this book, which we'll look at next week. But this, it, the, the, this chapter begins to shift what Habakkuk believes. Really, ultimately, what God is doing, he's confronting him and saying, listen, I want to find out what you really believe about me. Because what you believe about God will shape the choices that you make. And we're going to see in this chapter that Habakkuk comes face to face with what he truly believes about God. And in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 1, here's what we, see, here's what we find. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post. I will station myself on the tower. And I will look out to see what he will say to me. In other words, what is happening here is Habakkuk is waiting. He's standing there waiting for God. And he says he climbs up on the watchtower. And I'm just going to perch myself on the watchtower. Which was imagery in the Old Testament of what the guards would do. They would stand on the watchtower and they would look out over the land. And they would determine if enemies were coming. If they were going to be attacked. And that is what Habakkuk's doing. He's saying, I'm standing up on the watchtower, and I'm looking out to see when God will answer me. But here's what I understand. We don't know how long Habakkuk waited. We don't know how long he had to sit there. But here's what I can probably guarantee you, that he had to wait longer than he wanted to. Have you ever noticed that? Oftentimes when we see God, we have to wait longer than we want to. God doesn't often answer on our timetable. And that is probably exactly true of Habakkuk, but he's standing there waiting. And, and then God begins to answer him in verse 2. In Habakkuk 2, verse 2, God begins to lay out his ultimate plan. He begins to reveal to Habakkuk what he, is, what he has decreed. And so the first thing, the first principle I want you to see, he says, write God's vision. Look what he says in verse 2. He says, and the Lord answered me. So God finally answers, and he says this, write the vision. Write the words that I speak to you. Write what I'm about to tell you. And then he goes on to say, make it plain. Make it clear. I don't want anyone to be confused. I don't want anyone to have any doubts of what I'm doing. I want you to make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. In other words, what he's saying, I want it to be so clear that if a dude is jogging by this, he will be able to read it and understand it. That's how clear I want it to be. I want this billboard to be broad and I want it to be wide and I want people to be able to see it as they run by. I want them to know exactly what I'm saying. I don't want anyone to be confused at what I'm doing. And here's what we understand. Here's what we know. Obviously, Habakkuk obeyed. He clearly wrote down what God was telling him. Otherwise, you and I wouldn't be studying this book 2,600 years later. So he clearly obeyed God. And here's what I want you to understand. When you read your Bible, when you pick up this book, you are not reading men's ideas. You are not reading human opinion. You are not reading speculation. You are not reading philosophy. You are reading God speaking directly to you and I. When you open this book, it is God speaking to us. 
And you see, God speaks to us through His Word. When you pick up the Bible, really, when you read the Bible, when you study Scripture, that is how God speaks to us. That is how God speaks to me. That is how God speaks to you. It's no different than when God spoke to Habakkuk. See, oftentimes we think it is, right? We think, yeah, God spoke to the people in the Bible, but He doesn't speak to me. Like, God doesn't reveal Himself the way He revealed Himself to the people in the Bible. And that is completely false. God continues to speak to us through His Word. God gave us the Bible as His Word directly to us. Because you see, when we pick up the Bible and we start reading Scripture for ourselves... It is as if God were speaking directly to us, just like He spoke to Habakkuk. Why? Because the same Spirit that directed Habakkuk to write the vision, to write the words that God spoke to him, is the same Spirit that God uses when you and I open the Scriptures to penetrate our hearts, to teach us His truth, to speak to us, and to transform our lives. See, I talk to people all the time, and they say, well, you know, Eric, God never really speaks to me. Have you ever thought that? Like, Eric, God never really talks to me. God never really speaks to me. And here's the thing. If you are thinking today that God never speaks to you, the question you have to ask yourself is this. When is the last time I picked up my Bible and read God's Word for myself? When is the last time I actually cracked open the book of the, this book on a day that wasn't on a Sunday, that wasn't at 10.30 in the morning? When was the last time I opened up this book and read it for myself? Because you see, if God's not speaking to you, the reason God's not speaking is because you're not reading. Because if you and I will read God's Word, He will direct us and we will be able to hear from Him and listen to Him. Because here's what Scripture says in Hebrews. It says, faith. Faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing by what? The Word of God. See, we often think, well, God doesn't speak to me. I don't hear God talking to me. And the reason we don't hear God talking to us is because we're not opening His Word. So stop blaming God on the fact that He's not speaking and examine yourself and ask, am I actually opening and reading His Word? Because if you're not, you're right. God's not speaking to you. But if we want to hear the Word of God, if we want to be able to write the vision of what God is speaking to us, just like Habakkuk wrote the vision of what God was speaking to him, we have to open His Word and read it. We have to get into God's Word ourselves because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. So if we want to hear, we have to read. And if God's not speaking, the first question you have to ask is, am I reading? Am I getting into His Word? Now, I want to I walk through just a very simple way for you to begin to hear from God. For you, you can, if you journal, if you, if you take notes, you can write this down. But this is how you and I can hear from God. This is the way I spend every single morning. I wake up and I, and I read God's Word. This is what I do. The first thing I do is I, I read one or two chapters a day, and I highlight what God, it was a couple of verses that stand out to me. So I read, like this morning, I read John chapter 6, and, wrote, and as I was reading John chapter 6, I found a few verses that stood out to me, and I highlighted them. 
I emphasized them. I wrote them down in my journal. And just as a way to remember, say, okay, this was an important verse for me as I was reading this today. And so the first thing I do is I begin to highlight a couple of verses. Listen, don't go out and try to read 72 chapters today. Just pick one or two chapters in God's Word and start reading it. And then highlight what you see. The second thing I want you to do is I want you to explain. So first of all, we highlight. Secondly, we explain. In other words, read the entire chapter in its context and say, okay, what does this mean? And just in your journal, you write out what, it, what the verses mean, what the chapter is saying. If Jesus is performing miracles, if kings are conquering kingdoms, if, depending on what you read, just look at it within its context and begin to explain, begin to think about what the text is actually saying and just write a short summary of what you've just read. So we highlight We explain, and then here's where it all shifts. Here's where it all turns, and that's the third thing is we apply. Say, based on what I've highlighted, based on what I've read, based on what I've, I've written out as a short summary of the Scripture that I've just read, how can I go and apply it directly to my life today? How do I live this out? You see, application is the heart of studying Scripture. If you're, not, if you're not applying Scripture as you read Scripture, you're wasting your time. What did James tell us? Not to just hear the Word, not to just read it, but to do what? To do it. To put it into practice. To actually do what it says to do. And so, it is through application that bridges the gap between the ancient world and your world today. See, when we begin to highlight a couple of verses, when we begin to explain the context, and then we begin to apply Scripture, God begins to speak to us. God begins to talk to us. We begin to learn from God's Word. We begin to have God's Word penetrate our hearts deep to our core. And then the third thing is we respond. You can respond in prayer. You can respond in next actions based on what God has told you that day based on what God has spoken to you in that moment, you begin to respond. So if you read a passage that talks about loving your neighbor, you can pray and you can respond, God, help me to love John today. Help me to find intentional ways, next steps, for me to go out and love my neighbor the way I should. And call it specifically. Don't just generalize it. That's what we often do, right? We generalize our response. Like, God, just help me to be a good person. No! Help me specifically to do this, this, and this. And then go and do it. If you want to hear God speak to you, if you want to hear from God, that's how you can do it. Every single day, wake up, read one or two chapters, highlight, explain, apply, and respond. Highlight, explain, reply, and respond. Apply and respond. That's it. That's how you can begin to write the vision that God is speaking to you for that day. Because God speaks to us through His Word. And look what else He says in verse 3. We'll get back to the text. All that stuff was just free of charge. <laughs> Let's get back to the text. Verse 3. For still, the vision awaits its appointed time. In other words, what I'm going to tell you, Habakkuk, is going to happen at a, at, a, at a time in the future. The initial application of this is, 
is the, the Babylonian captivity and the, the Israelites being freed from that captivity. But, but we're going to see in just a moment that it applies even further. But still, the vision, it waits. It's appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. It seems slow. Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. You see, for the discouraged Jew that was taken into Babylonian captivity, that's wondering, God, when are you going to deliver us? When are you going to set us free? What does Habakkuk tell them? He says, yes, God is going to set you free, but you've got to wait for it. Yes, but wait for it. And we know through history that 70 years later, 70 years after Babylonian captivity, they were set free. In Daniel 5, they... They were no longer prisoners of Babylon. Babylon falls 70 years later. But if you notice in verse 3, it talks about the end. It hastens to the end. But here's the reality. Habakkuk didn't know the end, but you and I know the end. The end is that one day Jesus will come back. One day he will come in all of his glory, in all of his majesty, and he will establish his kingdom here on earth. And in that day, all sin will be judged. In that day, consequences for the choices we have made will be laid out plain and clear. In that day, in the end, Jesus will judge the, the living and the dead. And for those that have never trusted in Christ, for those that are not following Jesus, it says there is judgment in hell that awaits them. We know the end. Habakkuk couldn't see that end. But we have it plain and clear. So for those of us who are followers of Christ, wondering, God, how long? How long are you going to allow this world that we live in to continue to, to just forsake you? To continue to walk away from you? How long are you going to allow it to happen? And God's saying to us, yes, I'm coming back. But you got to wait. Why is God so patient why does God wait? He's patient because he loves us. See, God's desire is, not, is for everyone to repent. And so the reason we don't see God's judgment, the reason we don't see God stepping in and intervening all the time because of the sin in the world we live in is because God is patient. God desires that all men would come to repentance. That all would turn to Christ. And he's placed us as the church, as his vessel to carry the gospel, to call men and women to repentance. And so God is never late. He is always on time. And his patience is there because he loves us. And he desires for us to follow him, to trust in him. So the first principle that Habakkuk see, we see in the book of Habakkuk is we need to write the vision. Get into God's word. Write out what he tells you, what he speaks to you. The second thing is this. Trust his word. Trust God's word. Look at verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. We, look, we spent a lot of time on this last week, but really it comes down to two kinds of people in this world. They're really, if you boil it all down, there are two kinds of people. They're prideful and they're humble. The prideful people trust in themselves. Humble people trust in God. 
That's really it. Those are the only two types of people that, that, that are in this world. And so the rest of this chapter, God is going to lay out for Habakkuk the consequences for both. The consequences for those that are prideful and the consequences for those that are humble. He's going to lay out the consequences for both groups of people. And basically you can summarize the rest of this chapter in this. That, that your choices matter. Whether you choose to be prideful or you choose to be humble, it matters. God says, I'm going to come and judge the prideful. Sin has its consequences. But then he says, the righteous shall live by faith. And they can rest in the assurance of my promises. So what I want to do this morning, I want to start with the prideful. We're going to walk through this chapter a few verses at a time. And we're going to see the consequences for those that trust in themselves. Because you see, pride, here's what pride says. Pride says is, I'm going to worship myself. Pride is ultimately saying that I am God. That's really all pride is. If you're walking in pride, if you're living in a prideful manner, you're just saying that I am God. I sit on the throne of my life. I am in control. And see, the, the, our entire sinful nature is rooted in pride. Every sin you and I ever commit, you can always trace it back to pride. It was pride that got Satan kicked out of heaven. Why? Because he said, I'm, I'm God. I should be worthy just as God is worthy. And when you and I walk in pride, we do the exact same thing. And when we sin, when we go against what God tells us to do, here, all we're saying is this, is that I know better than God. I'm smarter than God. I'm wiser than God. And look what he says in verse 5. Moreover, wine is a traitor. An arrogant man, there it is, it's pride again, there's arrogance. An arrogant man is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he, is, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own, collects as his own all peoples. Now, obviously, in the context of this, he's talking about Babylon. But really, I think there's a broader principle here that we can see in this, this, that pride is never satisfied. Can you all agree with that? Like our sinful nature, our pride is never satisfied. We always want enough. We always want more. In fact, Robbie Zacharias put it this way. He said, sin will take you further than you want to go. Keep you longer than you want to stay. And cost you more than you want to pay. Why? Because sin, pride, is never satisfied. It will always take you further than you want to go. It will always cost you more than you want to, want to pay. And it will always, always, always keep you longer than you want to stay. It's true. And so what Habakkuk is, is going to show us is that God's going to list five specific sins rooted in pride. He's going to show us five things that people that are prideful, people that are boastful, people that are puffed up, or these sins are specific uh, to them. Now, we can see them specific to Babylon, but I believe these principles still apply to our lives today. If you and I are walking in pride, these same sins will be evident in our own lives. And he's going to show us 
And, and what he's going to do is he, God's going to decree a series of five woes. And just so you know, if God ever looks at you and says, whoa, that's not good. In fact, it's really bad. If God looks at you and goes, whoa, 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 like things, uh, the train is coming off the track. Things are going bad. But here's what he's going to say. He's going to give us five woes for these people. And so the first one is selfishness. Look at verse 6. About, uh, about halfway down in that verse, he says, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, for how long he loads himself with pledges. pledges. In other words, they're walking in selfishness. The Babylonians were consumed with themselves. They were consumed with selfish ambition. They would do anything at any cost to conquer any kingdom and expand their own. That's what they were doing. That's what they were about. They were all about themselves, which meant if they needed to steal from the helpless, they would steal from the helpless. If they needed to be ruthless, they would be ruthless. They grew rich off the misery of others. The nation of Babylon was consumed with selfish ambition. Life was all about themselves. But here's the reality. Here's what I want you to hear. Ambition in and of itself is not bad. In fact, Paul said this. He said, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. He goes on to say, Therefore also we have as our ambition to be pleasing to Him. You see, he's showing the difference between selfishness and selfish ambition and godly ambition and godliness. Like, we have a choice to make. We can choose ambition, a selfish ambition or we can choose godly ambition. But here's what ultimately God shows the, 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 the Babylonians through Habakkuk. He says, listen, one day you will reap what you sow. One day, your sin will find you out. If you walk and live in selfishness, it will come back to haunt you. And 70 years later, we know as we read Daniel 5, that Belshazzar falls as the Babylonian king. We know it historically, we know it, we know it biblically, that ultimately they did reap what they sowed. And so the first thing we see is selfishness. The second one is arrogance. Look at verse 9. These, the Babylonians were walking and living in arrogance. Verse 9 says this, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. So in other words, he's saying, listen, you're, these, these men were walking in arrogance. And what he's referring to is the wall around Babylon. See, the wall around Babylon was about 40 miles in diameter, up to 100 feet high. The Babylonians thought they were invincible. They thought no army could ever defeat us. No one could ever conquer us. And ultimately, what they did is they built an entire empire to glorify themselves, which is arrogance. Like, if your entire life is built around you, you're walking in arrogance. If every choice you make is about what makes you feel good, what makes you happy, then you're walking in arrogance. That's exactly what the Babylonians were doing. They were walking and doing everything they could for their own security and for their own safety. But we know that's a false sense of security, don't we? Like there is no wall high enough 
There is no individual or nation that can build walls around themselves high enough to keep God out. Yeah, that's what arrogance thinks. It makes us think that we can do that. But then he goes on to say in verse 12, there's another woe. So, and this is really exploiting others, taking advantage of others. Look at verse 12. He says, Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. In other words, what this kingdom of the Babylonians was built on was violence and oppression and injustice. And God goes on in the next few verses to say, listen, here's what's going to happen to you Babylonians. Those that you have oppressed, those that you have treated with injustice will rise up and they will become the fuel for the flame that will burn this whole kingdom down. He says, your sin will find you out. But then God's not done. There's a fourth woe. And the fourth woe is this. It's immorality. Look at verse 15 and 16. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink, who pour out your wrath and make them drunk. Look what he says. In order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. See, what was happening? The Babylonians were using alcohol as a means of seduction. In other words, they were getting drunk to get naked. That's what he says. Why? Because drunkenness and immorality often go Hand in hand. Drunkenness and immorality. Because what happens when you're drunk? You lower your standards. When you're under the influence, it causes you to say and do things you would never say or do. And so God is reminding Habakkuk through the Babylonians, say, listen, drunkenness and immorality go together. They go hand in hand. Now, the Bible doesn't speak of total abstinence. In fact, the first miracle Jesus ever committed was turning water into wine. But what it does say is that drunkenness is a sin. When you drink too much, it is a sin. Why? Because drunkenness and immoral behavior go hand in hand. And what God says is that your shame will find you out. That instead of walking in His glory, you will walk in shame. And we've all experienced that, haven't we? When we've walked in immorality, what happens? We begin to carry shame, regret. That's exactly what He's saying. Is that your sin will ultimately be exposed, and when it is, it is going to be ugly. It is going to cause shame. It is going to cause pain and guilt and he says that that woe to those who are immoral then there's a fifth woe and it's this idolatry look at verse 19 he says woe to him who says to a wooden thing awake to a silent stone arise can this teach in other words can this idol that you created teach you anything because it is overlaid with gold and silver and there is and there is no breath at all in it. See, the final woe is idolatry. 
And idolatry is, is really just as simple as worshiping anything other than God. We don't think a lot about idols, do we? None of us carry around idols in our purses or in our back pocket or have them in our homes like they did in ancient times. So we don't really think that much about idols, but an idol is anything you worship other than God. And the reality is that every single one of us worship, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, every single person worships something. We all worship. Every one of us are created to be worshipers. So whatever people delight in, whatever they are devoted to, whatever they sacrifice for, whatever they can't bear to be without, that is what you're worshiping. And you're either worshiping God or you're worshiping a cheap substitute. Those are the choices you have to make. That's why Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, you can follow your schedule and you can follow your wallet and you will discover what your God is. That's how you discover what you're actually worshiping. And so I want you to look at these five woes. Selfishness, arrogance, exploitation, immorality, idolatry. These aren't just warnings for the Babylonians. They're warnings for us as well. Like those same five things are prevalent throughout our culture and our world. And even prevalent in the church. And God is saying, listen, whoa, whoa, whoa. You have choices to make. You can choose not to walk in that manner. You can choose to walk in a different way. Because see, God, one day God is going to judge all sin. One day God is going to, to judge all of our sin. And the bad news is that all of us are guilty. Every single one of us online and watching in this room are guilty of of sin we've guilty of pride we're guilty and the worst news is that you can't change yourself you can't go and start changing yourself it takes the power of god to transform us only god can change our heart from the inside so often what we try to do is we try to change our behavior from the outside but that never works but god can transform us from the inside and this is the beauty of this passage just as god gave these five woes to the Babylonians as well as to us. He gives three promises that are scattered throughout Habakkuk 2 that will give hope for those that walk in faith. Listen to what he says. The first one is I want you to believe, or the third principle. So we looked at write the vision, trust God's word, and then believe God's promises. Look at the first promise. It's the promise of grace to the humble. Verse 4, but the righteous shall live by faith. That is the essence, the foundation of the gospel. That you and I are to live by faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, For by grace, God's grace, you have been saved through faith. Not of your own works, not of your own doing. It is a gift of God so that none of us can boast. See, church, it was God's grace that sent Jesus to die for our past present, and future sins. It was God, God's grace that rose Jesus from the grave three days later to conquer sin and death in our lives. It was God's grace that makes us, that transforms us into a new creation. It is God's grace, and it is only by God's grace that we can live by faith to begin with. 
Faith in God's provision for our sin. Faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross. Faith that God loves you, will forgive you, and has the power to change you. <coughs> Excuse me. That's the first promise. He says, I want to promise you my grace. Second promise is this. His glory will fill the earth. Look at verse 14. He says this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. See, God promises, promises us that His glory will fill the earth. What is His glory? His glory is the, is the manifestation of His presence. The visible and active presence of God among His people. In other words, you and I can experience His glory today. We can experience His presence today. Yes, we know that one day God's gonna, Jesus is going to come back and He's going to establish His kingdom and His glory will certainly fill the entire earth. But the reality is that you and I can experience His glory and His power and His presence today. When we put our hope and trust in God, he says that you, have the, you can have the knowledge of God. Look what he says in verse 14. You can have the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. In other words, right now, you and I can have an intimate, experiential relationship with God. We can experience and know his glory today. But the reality is he will not share his glory with anyone. That's why he goes so hard against, first, against the prideful in those five woes. Because God's not going to share his glory. So we have the promise of his grace. We have the promise of his glory. But look at the third and final promise. And it's the promise that he will reign, that his reign is eternal. Look at verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Here's, here's what this is. This is so incredible. This is a reminder. A reminder for each and every one of us that everything is under God's control. That God is on the throne right now. That God is sovereign over all things right now. That God is never caught off guard by what is happening in our lives and in our world. God is holy and He expects us to have reverence and respect for His holiness. But not only that, He expects us to reproduce that same holiness in our lives. That's why throughout Scripture it says that we are to be holy as what? God is holy. God expects us to be holy as He is holy. Why? Because He reigns for eternity. He is on the throne. He is our Lord. And, and we, we, have to, we have to trust and believe that promise. Let me sum up this, this kind of all the things we've talked about is this. When we believe the Word of God, and when we behold the glory of God, and when we sit in awe of the holiness of God, it gives us the faith to accept the will of God. Let me say that one more time. When we believe the word of God, 
and we behold the glory of God and sit in the awe of the holiness of God, it empowers us, enables us, and gives us the faith to accept the will of God. And what we're going to see next week is Habakkuk grasped the significance of that statement. He began to believe the word of God. He began to sit in awe of the holiness of God. He began to to behold the glory of God. And as a result, it transformed his entire life. Habakkuk goes from chapter 1 being a worrier to chapter 2 waiting for God to answer to chapter 3 being a worshiper. He experiences who God is in such an incredible way that next week we will see how it absolutely transformed his life. And the reality is that when you and I believe the word of God, behold the glory of God, sit in awe of the holiness of God, it will transform our lives as well. Let's pray. Father, your word is true. And God, we come before you and we want to believe it. We want to believe the truth of your word. We want to believe the the power of your word, God. And Father, I know that there are men and women that are either in this room or listening online that, that really the choices they've made would lean toward the five woes rather than the three promises. That there are people that have been walking in arrogance and selfishness and immorality and idolatry, even to the point of exploiting others and using others for their gain. And Father, as your word teaches us, we need to come to you in repentance. You desire that all men and women repent and turn to you. So, Father, we pray that you give us the strength to do that. And help us to rest in the promises of Habakkuk 2. The promises of your grace. The promises of your glory. And the promise that you are on the throne in all your splendor and all your holiness. And help us to choose holiness rather than rebellion, rather than disobedience. And if anyone here has never placed their faith in Jesus Christ, we read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which simply says that we are saved by grace through faith. It is God's grace that saves us. And as as we place our trust and our faith in Him and simply believe, He will begin to transform us. He will begin to change us. And so, Father, we pray that be true of each and every one of us today. We would place our trust and faith in you, in you alone. Believing in your word. Beholding your glory. And standing in awe of your holiness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, church, as we conclude this last song, what we're going to do is we're actually going to partake in communion which is an expression of the grace that God has given us through Jesus Christ. 
And so in the four corners of our room, there are individual communion cups and wafers. There's wafers on the top and the cup contains the juice. And, and here's what we're going to ask you to do just in a safe manner. We want you to, we're going to give you the entire song to do it, but uh, just walk up there and grab one uh, individually and go back to your seat and with your spouse, with your family. We want you just to gather. We want you to remember. That's what Jesus said. He said, whenever you take this cup and this bread, I want you to remember. I want you to remember that my blood was shed for you. I want you to remember that my body was broken for you. And so we're just going to ask you to come up and, and create the movement of going up before uh, the table. But take the elements back to your seat. And remember what Christ has done for you. What do you remember? You're remembering His grace. You're remembering His glory. And you're remembering that He's holy and eternally on the throne. And so I just encourage you, if you are, are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we invite you to partake in the Lord's Supper with us. However, in the church of Corinth, there were Christians that were partaking of the Lord's Supper that were walking in sin. They were walking in those five woes that we talked about earlier. And if that's you, what you need to do before coming to this table is you need to repent. You need to say, God, forgive me. I want to come to you with a clean, on a clean slate. I want to come before you in a clean heart. Yes, I know my sin is evident, but I confess it to you. I repent of it. And then we ask you to come and take the, uh, take the cup and take the bread. And as an act of worship, which we say this every week, is there are offering, offering boxes in the back where you can place your offering. Uh, either on your way out or during this next song after you've received communion. Feel free to get up and do that as well. For those online, you can go to our website and discover how to give and support the ministry of this church. But let's stand, church, and let's celebrate the grace that God has given us. That we don't have to live in the woes of God. We can live in the presence of God and experience Him for ourselves. So let's stand, let's worship Him through communion.